blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome. Another edition of Avalanche Talk for your ears. I am your host, JJ Derez, as with me as always is Arif Dean. Arif, got to get to more NHL news here. I know we are the Avalanche Talk podcast, but there's only so much Avalanche Talk news to go along with. We got to be very NHL heavy right now considering the restart, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, right now every team, every podcast is centered around the NHL. What's going on? The return to play, the format, the hub cities, etc. So, I mean... We're just sort of riding the wave, just like everyone else at this point. It feels weird for me because usually I tend to try to ignore all that news. Not 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 so much ignore it, but ignore it for our podcast, especially because you know there are people out there that you already follow for your national hockey league news. You know the Elliot Friedman, the Jer- Jeff Merricks, uh, you know. Greg Wyshynski's. We tend to be more for that niche avalanche group, but you know this is the biggest topic at hand, so we have to kind of stick to that. I mean, let's face it, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, once-in-a-century thing, so at this point, this is all we got right now. We can give it an avalanche twist as much as we can, which we try to do, but hope everybody's staying engaged because we are just as excited as everyone else to hopefully be able to talk about Colorado Avalanche hockey again. Absolutely. Don't forget that uh, this podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. That being said, I wanted to get into the little bit of avalanche news that we are kind of keeping an eye on right now, and that is the heart watch. It feels like Leon Dreisaitl is kind of inching Nathan McKinnon out for the lead. I guess, where are you putting Nathan McKinnon's current odds at maybe running away with the heart? Right there, man. I'm putting him right there in second place behind Dreisaitl, and that's not to say that McKinnon can't win it, but I feel like those are your two feasible options that are going to be on every single ballot, at least I hope so, and there's no fishy things going on where you know an Edmonton writer was to leave McKinnon on or vice versa with Colorado writers. Uh, I know Pasternak is uh, perhaps a possibility, but he sort of gets canceled out by his teammates, his line mates with Marshawn and Bergeron. I know that uh, Artemi Panarin is also an option, but as I saw in the weekend when Gord Miller announced who he put on his ballot, Panarin was sixth or seventh on his ballot, so he missed out on the top five. So even if Panarin gets more first place votes than McKinnon, uh, he's going to be left off of a lot of ballots possibly, and that's going to hurt his aggregate points because in the, in the end, it's those total points that determine the Hart Trophy winner. Um and that's not to say that McKinnon's not going to beat him in first place votes. I'm just, you know, the only two names that I could see at this point that are going to be on every single ballot are Leon Dreisaitl and Nathan McKinnon. And I can't seem to know which way to go on it. I'd put McKinnon's odds at, you know, somewhere about 50% because I'd give the other 50% to, to Dreisaitl. At this point, I feel like any name other than those two that gets announced as the Hart Trophy winner would be a surprise to me, and that includes Panarin, obviously Connor McDavid, and all the other guys that are in the running. 
To me, it kind of feels like a lot of the media members and the voters for the Hart Trophy kind of had their minds made up few months too early. I mean, we heard the rumors of Leon Dreisaitl really kind of circulating kind of mid-season, and they it almost seems like they wanted to give it to him right then and there, almost just to pat themselves on the back for not voting Connor McDavid uh, for another year. So part of that, because of that, I kind of feel like he's he's gonna you know eventually be named the winner. But um, you know, it's it's cool to see Nathan McKinnon right behind him. I mean, we've gotten into it before, but just keep an eye on as as the results kind of start to trickle out and the sources start to kind of be, you know, I guess make themselves heard a little bit. And we're hearing, oh, well, it sounds like Dryside on my way. It sounds like Nathan McKinnon's getting a lot of votes. So we had to just touch on it. Something we're all just, I guess, anxiously waiting. And and you know, hopefully, the uh, heart ends up in McKinnon's hands. But I'm not holding my breath here. I mean, yeah, uh, at this point, neither neither of those two winners would surprise me. It would surprise me if McKinnon fell to third or fourth in the final voting. Uh, but I could see it on both sides because I could see Dreisaitl coming out as that winner. And I can also see a lot of voters having that, why are we forgetting about Nathan McKinnon feel while they're voting? Because we keep talking about Panarin. We keep talking about even Connor Hellebuck is getting some love. We keep talking about McDavid and Dreisaitl and all those Boston guys. And then everybody seems to forget about McKinnon because the avalanche were this well-oiled machine. And then, you know, I heard Pierre Lebrun say it today. McKinnon has kind of lost a lot of that lust and momentum that he had leading up to it. But then you have that moment of, holy crap, like he led the avalanche in points. Second place was 43 points behind and it was a rookie defenseman that also missed games. So even on the in, in the sense of their offense, he led the charge. Their power play wasn't as, as dominant as in years past. So I feel like a lot of people have that come to Jesus moment where they're like, wait a second, let's not forget about this guy. If he I, does real quickly, if he does uh, lose out on it this year, it wouldn't surprise me, but it does give me a bit of that feel like uh, Shea Weber in his Nashville days in his prime or Mike Babcock in his prime in Detroit, where every year you're like, wait a minute, this guy hasn't won it yet. And he keeps getting second and second. And then suddenly here we are a decade later, Weber's never won a Norris, Babcock's never won a, a Jack Adams. And we might end up like that with McKinnon because every year there's one person that sticks out just a little bit more. I just think, um, you know, from the national media's perspective, they had higher hopes for the Avalanche. I mean, the Avalanche did fine this year. They did great. But I think that a lot of media guys expected them to be just a little bit better. And you can point that towards the injuries probably. But I think that has another big factor. You know, people kind of forget the fact that McKinnon maybe struggled a little bit more than he should have because of the lack of personnel around him, right? He kept having to carry the team way more than he should have. And so, you know, for that fact, he might have been a little bit uh, disappointed. I, w- I don't even want to say disappointing, but a little bit just a tad below the bar that the national media had set for him, where on the other side is Leon Dreisaitl kind of uh, unexpectedly came up to the top of, of standings and stats and everything like that. But you can't forget that he plays on a line with another MVP candidate. It just doesn't make sense to have two MVP candidates from the same team, right? I mean, uh, I, I don't know. It just seems silly to me. But that that's kind of the biggest reason I think McKinnon's going to maybe get inched out here. That's all. Yeah, I mean, at at, at this point, I'd say it's more of it's more of a popularity contest. Uh, mm-hmm. It just depends on how many people prefer Dreisaitl to McKinnon. But there's still a lot of factors for me, man. McKinnon's the good Canadian boy. McKinnon's the... Uh, you know, the second coming of Crosby, the kid that trains with him in the summer, the kid that perhaps will lead Team Canada with McDavid one day. Um, 
And he had a great season, man. Like his points per game this year completely slaughter his last two seasons. Last year, he had 99 in 82 games. The year before that was a little bit better. He had 97, but in 74 games. This year, he's on pace for 110 after 82 games, and he's on pace for more than 97, I think 99 after those 74 games. And again, he's doing it with literally nobody because everybody keeps getting injured. Even when Rantanen came back from his injury, let's hope that there was some sort of a lingering issue. Like we talked about, you know, 25 years ago in March on our podcast, when we talked about how Rantanen sort of started to lose his smile and his love for the game because of the frustration setting in. He's not even a point per game player this year. He's a, I think a 0.95 point uh, per game player. So McKinnon really hasn't had that much help. And I think a lot of people are going to take that into account when looking at Dreisaitl and talking about, well, McDavid was this and this was that. And you know what? Let's just settle on the guy that we know did it himself. Um, Probably should have won the trophy two years ago and let's give him his. So I still feel more of that. And, you know, I'm as, as we've seen in you know, previous podcasts, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. And I feel like a lot of media are going to come to that realization, even though Dreisaitl had a lot of points, but McKinnon just sort of elevated his team to a higher level, I would say, than Dreisaitl did. Yeah, you'd hate for it to be kind of a a makeup call or a makeup award, right? And they say, oh, he should have had it two years ago. Let's give it to him for this year. But you want to see it in the right hands. And there's a very good argument for Nathan McKinnon to be the holder of that Hart Trophy at the end of the day. Um, getting into phase two, uh, the latest news around the NHL, I guess, for the for the league as a whole, is the fact that they are going <coughs> to expand. Now uh, all teams are allowed to go from six players to 12 players in their, I guess, private skate <laughs> sessions now. Um, considering that there was some Tampa Bay uh, news and there were some players that did test positive for COVID, do you think that this expansion, to phase, uh, expansion in phase two to 12 players is a good idea at this time? So I don't want this to come off as insulting to anyone, but I think that the whole situation that happened that day, and especially with other sports, I know the Phillies and the MLB had to close down their their facilities as well. Uh, we heard some other rumors around the NHL, some other rumblings as well about players uh, testing positive for COVID. The reason why I say that is there's two parts to this for me. So for starters, when this entire pandemic began, players were not being tested on a daily basis. For good reason, the tests were not available and it would have just been such a privileged thing to test athletes while the general public and the and the first responders and those on the front line, the nurses and the doctors are not being tested. So now that these tests are starting to come in, you're going to get some positive test results, especially when you take into account that right now, what these tests have proven for me is that this is why we need a bubble. This says to players, this is why we are going to lock you into a secluded area. Because when we don't, this is what's going to happen. So let's take the Pepsi Center for for example. You know, you and I have been in the press box multiple times together this season. Take everybody that's in that press box. And let's say that last week, uh, you know, Cronky Sports and Entertainment told us, starting next week, from that Pepsi Center, six of you at a time can come in and hang out in that press box at once, hang out in the media lounge at once. You coming from your apartment, me coming from my apartment, Ryan Clark and Adrian Dater and, and Rick Sadowski and Mike Chambers, everybody come coming from their homes and meeting up at the Pepsi Center, there's going to be some positive tests. 
So that's the first thing for me is that these positive tests are not a result of, of the NHL's return to play format you know, failing. This is a result of showing just why that bubble is necessary. This is why we can't bring your families. This is why you can't fly home and come back because once you leave the bubble, you are bringing the possibility of somebody testing. The second thing is, and you know, this is far too early to say, I'm going to knock on wood and hope that it never happens, but none of these players that have tested positive have ended up on ventilators in horrible critical condition. As soon as you see one of these players putting something on their Instagram story of them connected to a bunch of tubes and intubated and on these ventilators and, and, and dealing with a critical situation like many of the general public and the elders and you know some younger people have dealt with uh, in, the, in the United States and around the world, as soon as it gets to that point, then when you're Nathan McKinnon and you see, you know, player X, I don't want to throw any random name on there, but player X putting something like that on his Instagram or putting something like that on Twitter that scares you to your core, but it hasn't gotten to that. So for those two reasons, I think it's a little bit of an overreaction for let's just cancel the season because rather than showing that this is not going to work, this is exactly why the NHL needs a bubble. And this is exactly why Gary Bettman has been doing an exceptional job of, of, of formulating this plan in cities where the cases are lower and, and sort of bringing these teams and players together and keeping them there until the cup is awarded. Certainly. I, I mean, as you said, it's kind of raising some flags, and I think some players are raising their eyebrows and saying, oh, holy crap, you know, this thing's a lot closer to home than we're expecting here. Um, but at the same time, you you look at the city they're in and the state, the, what's going on in Florida with the explosion in cases. And that's the other thing. Exactly. Once once you get them into their little bubbles, that that's not going to be quite as an issue. But for now, it still is, and you'd hate to see that go on in other training camps in other cities and everything like that. And in, you know, even the Tampa Bay GM had to get involved because there's kind of a lack of leadership going on there in Florida with, you know, just the control of the cases and you know the control of the public. Even he's coming out and starting to beg people little to hey take this thing seriously. We want to get the NHL back and going, and we're not going to be able to do that if half the league's testing positive every week. So, you know, it's it's a tough thing to kind of juggle, but you're right. Once they do kind of make that leap into Phase 3 and Phase 4, where they're more locked down, then everything's going to seem a lot more realistic and a lot more reasonable to get the restart going. I mean, you look you look at the leagues around the world that are getting started, right? The Germany soccer, the Spanish soccer, um, English soccer. A big reason they got to do that is because the population had self-control. They were able to lock themselves down for two months. They stayed inside. They wore their masks. They took it seriously. And that's a lot more than you can say for the U.S., which is what's making it so tough. So, you know, there's gives and takes here. Um, but at the end of the day, if the players can just uh, find a way to, you know, control themselves from going out in public and maybe not go to any bars or try to stay away from the golf courses while they're still in this intermittent period of, you know, being a hockey player and just kind of being on a weird little vacation, then things can kind of maybe get more serious. But, you know, it, it's a weird situation, especially, I think, from the player's point of view right now. Yeah, and I mean, the Florida thing really, I mean, what the Florida thing does for me, dude, is it shows just how well Gary Bettman has handled this compared to other sports and other commissioners. You look at, you know, and I'm talking about North American sports specifically, you look at the MLS, they announced that they're going to do a World Cup style tournament in Orlando, I believe it is. The NBA is planning for this big Orlando thing and they're sending the Toronto Raptors to Fort Myers in Florida um, 
to have their training camp there because they don't want to send them to Canada with the 14-day quarantine and then, you know, ship them back to the States, depending on where these players are right now at the moment. Um, the NFL is operating per, pretty much as normal aside from crowds. The NHL has, you know, Gary Bettman and the leadership at the top of the league has done such an exceptional job, in my opinion, and nothing has been, you know, has been has been put to the test yet and we don't know how these hub city things are going to work out we don't even know what the hub cities are just yet we're going to find out soon but gary bettman has done such an exceptional job because he's the only commissioner that has not gone running to florida and let's be honest with you just like you said the reason why these other commissioners are doing it is because the leadership at the top of that state right now is just so out of whack that these commissioners are taking advantage of that Orlando is not the best option for the NBA. Orlando is not the best option for the MLS. But they're going to go there because it's just the easiest thing to do. It's a cop-out. Gary Bettman is going out of his way to literally negotiate with the Canadian government on getting the NHL to a city there, which in my opinion, they should just do both cities in Canada and get it over with because it's just so much better handled there. Um, I was looking at some numbers the other day. And I'm going to give you some rough estimates, but Arizona is another place where there's a there's a spike in uh, in cases compared to uh, other states. I think it's Arizona and, and and Florida are the two big ones. Arizona's population is double the population of British Columbia. British Columbia on Saturday, I think it was when I was looking at the numbers, had five new cases in a day. Arizona had three thousand. They're double the population of British Columbia, but they had 3,000 cases compared to friggin' five. <laughs> so why wouldn't you send the NHL to Vancouver? Edmonton's another one. Uh, Alberta had, I think it was single digits, maybe double digits cases for the entire province. And Edmonton's even going above and beyond to sort of show why they should be a, why they should be one of the hub cities. And I'll I'll share some of the details with that later on, but it just makes so much sense. And this is, this is Gary Bettman putting in the effort to put the NHL in the best and safest position possible rather than running to the end to, uh, like the NBA and the MLS running to Florida where it just seems like a cop-out because everything is easy and then you have the NFL who in Florida you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who made perhaps two of the biggest off-season deals in acquiring Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and they're just operating as normal. Like it's not an issue. And that to me is suspect. The NBA's decision to go to Orlando is suspect. The MLS's decision, suspect. And for none of these leagues to come out publicly and mention anything about the fact that Florida is seeing record-breaking cases on a day-to-day -day basis for literally the last five or six days is a little bit troubling and just goes to show, again, how much I think Gary Bettman is doing an exceptional job of handling this. The latest news sounds like the players are just definitely spooked from what I'm hearing. I mean, it sounds like it's almost switched more to a 50-50. And, you know, some of the players, like we heard from Landis Gog last week, he's all on board. He's ready to get it going. He wants it to happen. Some players are, are, are a bit spooked. I mean, we saw in Greg Wyshynski and Emily Kaplan's article, I believe it was this morning, um, you know, they had a quote from a player. I'll read it here. I, I took a little screenshot of it because uh, it really caught my eye. He says, quote, 
Guys are not happy. This is why we better have a full player vote and not just an executive board vote. But I'm not convinced that the NHLPA is going to allow that because he knows there's so many of us on the fence. That's why I think the league was trying to be hush-hush on these positive tests. In my opinion, no way we play. So it sounded more like a a 50-50 shot to me. I don't know. I don't know. I know you're still positive. And like we said, once we get to that phase three and four, I think everything's going to be clear. But I don't know how on board the players are going to be to get to that phase. You know what, man? The reason why I think it's going to end up happening is because exactly what I just explained. Every NHL player at the end of the day is going to see all the madness behind every other league. I haven't even mentioned the MLB yet because that would take an entirely new podcast of hours upon hours of talking about the destruction they are doing to their own sport and their own brand with what's happening, especially today when we saw the player votes come out uh, 33 to 5, I believe, out of 38 representatives rejecting the MLB's uh, 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 proposal. So let's put the MLB aside, the NBA, what they're dealing with, with Orlando, the NFL, with what they're dealing with and just being ho-hum and treating everything like it's normal because they were in an off season. Um, In the end, at the end of the day, once these uh, facilities come out, so let me, let me read you a tweet that I saw today from Ryan Rashog out in Edmonton for TSN about the things that Edmonton is, is, is uh, adding to their proposal to the NHL in order to become one of the hub cities. He says, all players are to stay at the JW Marriott across from the arena, obviously being Rogers Arena and Edmonton. Olympic Village style setup at Ice District with indoor and outdoor elements, including golf simulators, basketball courts, movie nights, video games, live entertainment, ping pong, pool tables, lounge areas, rooftop patios, arrangement with over a dozen of the city's top restaurants to have a wide variety of food available, agreement in place with local golf courses to dedicate certain days to NHL hub cities. Basically, you see where I'm going here. Alberta has such a small amount of cases and they're going to dedicate so much of their facilities and so much of their availability to the NHL. Vancouver is trying to do the same thing. Toronto hosted the 2016 World Cup. They're trying to do the same thing. Vegas, we know what Vegas can host because Vegas is a party. The Strip can host a ton of things. They can host all 31 NHL teams if they wanted to. Uh, once the players see that, once the players see what's going to be available in the in the hub cities and how safe the you know how much the NHL is going out of their way to keep this as safe as possible, I think it's going to sway them in toward the direction of yeah, let's do this. There really isn't much of a risk for us. There is going to be some sacrifices made. The families is a big one, things like that. But I think the NHL is just going to end up winning this thing and it's going to end up happening because when you compare it to the other leagues and just how asinine their plans look, the NHL's plan doesn't look that crazy. All that you just named off about Edmonton's plan. I mean, that sounds so fun. That sounds awesome, right? Going, yeah. playing some golf, playing some basketball, watching movies with your boys. Like, it sounds great. It's crazy to me that they have to dangle this carrot. It's not just about, hey, let's get back to playing hockey and finish this thing out. Now there's they have to put some cherries on top now. That to, to kind of get these players, all right, fine. I kind of like the idea of the hub city. I like the idea of Edmonton as a hub city. So I guess how much influence do you think that hub whichever hub cities end up getting named because we heard today Columbus is finally out Edmonton sounds like a front runner Vancouver Las Vegas how much influence do you think that actual hub city will have on the research JJ I, I I gotta say this and I think a lot of us don't take this into account is this is 
gonna play a large part in in in, in the players wanting to do this uh three months ago the entire world the entire country was asked to stay home I lost my mind. You lost your mind. People lose their minds when you're they're told to do something like that. No player is going to want to go spend three hours at an ice rink and 21 hours in a hotel room. It's just not feasible. Like I said last week, these are not EA Sports characters. These are real-life humans, and you're asking them to do this for 80, 90, 100 days, the teams that go to the Stanley Cup final at least, that is. It's not feasible to expect something like that. So you have to make the bubble as big as you can and as enclosed as you can with as much activities as possible. Those amenities matter. Those amenities are going to play a big, large part in it. You know, when people go on cruises, when people rent hotel rooms, when you go on vacation, you look for those extra things. You look for the pools and the patios and the restaurants and the bars and all the things that are going to be available to you because when you book that hotel room, when you sit in that hotel room in whatever city you're at, you don't want to sit in a room with two beds and call it a day and order, you know, room service. You want to be able to do extra fun activities. And the NHL has to provide something like this because these kid these these guys are, you know, my age, your age, younger and older. Everybody's going to want to do something different with their times. The last NHL game was a little over 100 days ago, I believe now. That's how long the playoffs are going to take for the for this, you know, not necessarily more. We were more around 80, 90 days, almost as long as how long this pandemic has been going on. The NHL pause. That's how long the two Stanley Cup finalist teams are going to be enclosed in their hub cities. It's a right. big ask. These amenities matter. These things matter. Just for mental health sake. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you can't just lock up and expect them to play video games all day, every day. Um, you know, another thought occurred to me recently, and I didn't even realize that we hadn't talked about this, but when we touched on how the players are going to be playing in front of empty buildings, and I, this is something I've seen when I've been watching my European soccer lately, is that the referees are actually, in my opinion, doing a much better job than they would normally because they don't have the fans to influence them. They don't have any sort of home ice. So, uh, you know, we haven't talked about that at all. Just a random thought I wanted to throw out there in this podcast that – um, you know, I expect the referees to really be on their A game during this, and I'm kind of excited to see that because how awful is it to, you know, have a, an entire building get pissed off at a ref because he made a bad call? Well, hopefully they're going to be sharp and, you know, not have any sort of influence in any, any way or another. You know, man, that's the first time I've heard of that, and I think that that is a fantastic point. How often have we seen crowds make a call? It happens all, all the, the time. time. Nathan McKinnon goes around the boards. He's in the corner behind the net looking for Ranton and puts his head up, takes a stick to the face, covers his face with his hands. The typical thing that hockey players do, no penalty call, one Mississippi. Two Mississippi, the hand goes up because during that two Mississippi, Pepsi Center crowd lost their mind. Jared Bednar lost his mind. Everybody lost their mind. The ref's like, you know what? Yeah, they're right. Boom calls the penalty so to have that not be an issue and obviously that's an example of the other way of fixing you know righting a wrong but we often see calls that are wrongfully made because of situations like that the referees are going to have no outside distraction it's going to be them and the players and i think that's going to play a large role in seeing some good officiated hockey and then on the other hand there's also taken into account the fact that 
you know, something we spoke about many weeks ago is, you know, in my opinion, this is going to be the kind of hockey you see in October where there's a lot of penalties called. Everything is called to the T. There's a lot of goals, not much of a system, not much of structure, just fun, exciting pond hockey. And I think that's what's going to happen at least through the play in round and for the Avalanche's sake, the round robin. On the topic of the whole home ice advantage idea, we discussed in the last, last few podcasts how you know, the NHL is trying to prevent any sort of home team playing in their home city. The front-running teams I named a little bit ago, Edmonton, Vancouver, Las Vegas, all three of which are West Coast teams, so it would be impossible to prevent that if they pick two of those. Yeah. Is there another team I'm missing um, that might be, you know, a little bit more East, Canadian, American? Toronto. That's ca- Toronto, Toronto, you, is Toronto getting yeah. some of that traction? So Toronto is getting a lot of traction, but now I feel like Vancouver has taken that traction away. And with what Edmonton has been proposing lately, I feel like they're in the running too. I think the NHL is going to do their best job of making sure that the conferences are flip-flop for that reason. Um, sending... But it's just tough. You think about it. If it's either Edmonton, Vancouver, or Las Vegas... But well, at that point, yeah, you know, in the, yeah, obviously in the end, health trumps everything else and the health of the players is what's going to matter. And if if sending them to Vegas and Edmonton is what's the best uh, option in, for in regards to health, then that's what they're going to do. But I feel like if they do that, the NHL is going to have some eyes on, let's say the East is in Vegas and the West is in Edmonton. They're going to have their eyes on the Oilers. Because they're not we going to want them to go to their families and go back and come in and sort of hush, hush, sneak, see your family. Because as much as it sounds like you're babysitting, you know, Boy Scouts at a at a day camp, it's 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 it, it's a hindrance on the rest of the players and the rest of the hub to, you know, have the Oilers go out and and uh, see their families and, and mm-hmm. connect with the community and come back in. Yeah. And it's just not fair to the rest of the people. And know, that everybody too. Everybody yeah. has to. Yeah. While Edmonton gets home cooked meals, everybody else is eating spaghetti for the fifth night in a row. Like I don't know, man. These like these Edmonton dress. restaurants seem like they're gonna be pretty pretty dope. If I I'm personally on board with this Edmonton thing, man. I I hope it happens. Yeah, they're really making a push. Even politicians are getting involved, yep. posting pictures of the city. Um, and we saw over the weekend, um, Ian Poulter, who's a golfer. He posted a video on Twitter of himself getting tested uh, over, right before the tournament that happened over the weekend. And it was exactly our fear, Arif. We talked about it a few weeks ago, how if that's the kind of testing that they're going to be doing, where they're swabbing your throat through your nose, that is just too much. And if I'm an NHL player, I don't know if I want to do that. And it just it looks gross to me and it looks rough. And it's crazy that this is the type of test that everybody's going to have to be doing multiple times a week. Yeah. I mean, at this point, we don't know for sure if that's the only test available and if that's the test that's going to be done. I mean, if pro golfers are doing it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I mean, the NHL is also 35 to 40 days away. And as we've seen with this pandemic, a hell of a lot can change in 35 to 40 days. But at the same time, I hate to say this and I hate that I have to say this. But if everything else is figured out, the families is figured out, the hub cities are figured out, your health, your safety, all of that is figured out. At that point, the only issue in a player's mind is having to do this thing for 20 seconds twice a week. So 40 seconds, 60 seconds out of my week. At that point, I hate that I have to say this, but you got to suck it up. This is why you get paid to be a hockey player. Uh, Yeah. It sucks. It sounds terrible. But, you know, a lot of people would love to be in that position. So if that becomes the one and only issue, 
you've 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 figured out with Gary Bettman in the NHL that you're not going to see your family for a month. You figured out all these other things. If that's the one issue, you got to suck it up and do it. I mean, I was watching that golf tournament over the weekend, and on Friday, in the middle of play, it was announced that one of the golfers had actually tested positive. And even despite that, you still hear, heard the players afterward just kind of praising the PGA for how well they've t- handled the whole thing. They're taking care of it. So there really aren't any qualms from the from the golf pros, the players, about the test. So, you know, I mean, even soft golfers aren't complaining. You can't imagine a hockey player is going to complain. It's just a little bit of discomfort, but you know what? Three to five seconds a, a couple times a week can't be too bad. It's not, it's not as important as keeping everybody safe. And, you know, the, the fact that golf was able to catch a guy so quickly, take him right out of play and keep everybody safe, it was the most important part about that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that, that makes sense to me. I just don't see any hockey players having an issue with that if that becomes the issue, you know, the last remaining uh, thing on their mind. Our listeners out there are probably thinking I'm psycho for just sitting, enjoying my Friday by watching golf. We got nothing but, better to do right now, man. It's it's completely cool. <laughs> and the reason is we talked about it last week. DraftKings had a special promotion going on for uh you know, the the golf tournament that went on over the weekend and I s- somehow found a way to win money. I never won money off golf before. It was really only the second or third time I've ever bet on golf, but I actually won and uh Webb Simpson won me some money and you know what? It's not our last chance we could do it again this weekend. Golf is still here. That's right. We have another full weekend of golf ahead of us. And even though the trophy is reserved for the winner, the big cash winnings don't have to be. To add to the excitement, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you at the center of the action with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't worry if you weren't able to take advantage of last weekend's tournament. That action on the course continues, and DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to get all the bets in this weekend's tournament. Head to the app right now and check out all they have to offer, including player props, day-by-day action, and even hole-by-hole live betting. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. DraftKings will be offering a special odds boost for this weekend's golf tournament. New users can get 50 to 1 odds on the top golfers to win prior to the tournament start. That's crazy. Download the top download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code MHS when you sign up for a limited time. All new users can get a sign up bonus of up to $1000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign up bonus of up to $1000. Just enter the code MHS when you sign up only at DraftKings Sportsbook. And as usual, you must be 21 or older, Colorado only, bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times play through, restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. And you know, even to just to touch on that uh, DraftKings Sportsbook and what they're offering for golf, you know, the, the day-by-day action and the hole-by-hole live betting, man, that gets me all giddy inside for what the future of betting is going to be in an NHL arena when, you know, hopefully one day we return to 18,000 at the Pepsi Center and Nathan McKinnon goes in on a breakaway and gets hauled down and suddenly he's got a penalty shot. So, you know, all the fans in the stands pop out their phones and, you know, plus 200, he's going to miss the penalty shot. You know, minus 150, he's going to make it. You want to place a bet, you place a bet. He goes in, goes top shelf, roof daddy, because he always does. 
and you win 150 bucks right there you win 100 bucks right there that's going to be so friggin cool and it's it's what gets me excited about these about this betting becoming legal in Colorado and these other states and eventually i think it's going to be a league wide thing it's just you know the the future of betting is is fascinating to think about as long as we get to that point one day where we can have those fans back in the crowds yeah, I've been pumping DraftKings tires ever since they hopped on board with us, and we always end up spending more time talking about it after our live read than you know we're probably supposed to. But every week I find something new and great about DraftKings. Like this week, for example, they handed me a mission, and they said, hey, if you make three bets in the next three days, then you get a, a special little bonus. You know, They're always coming up with just cool little tricks and fun ways to just keep you keep you going. It's, it's just, I love it. I, I win some money. On soccer, I put it into golf, and the golf all golf golf odds are great. So look out for that this weekend. And uh, sorry for taking so long on DraftKings. We just we love them, and we're happy they're on board. Moving on, though, I wanted to get a little bit into the Austin Matthews controversy. I mean, that oh was really weird. And I think the weirdest thing about it, and it's really kind of a question of, I guess, privacy at this point, is how important is the anonymity for players who test positive, if you even think it's important at all. I mean, there wasn't really much of that when it first started. We knew right away, Rudy Gobert, everybody kind of put him on their blacklist because everybody kind of feels like he's the one that started it amongst professional sports at players. So, um, you know, again, how, how important do you think that anonymity is for the players' sake, and, and should the NHL really be fighting hard to protect that right now? And that's exactly what the NHL is fighting for because that's what they announced last week is they're going to start to do these updates of COVID cases where it's going to be we tested all X amount of players and 12 of them was the last report came out positive and that's the way it should be handled. When you see other situations come up like we have in, in, in other sports where uh, Kevin Durant was announced uh, having tested positive and more recently Ezekiel Elliott for the Dallas Cowboys there is always a confirmation from the player or most importantly, the player's agent. And this did not happen this time around. Uh, it was a media member out in Toronto that works for the Toronto Sun. And it was just a big, you know, a big mess because he had spoken to two sources, you know, that he says around the league that had confirmed to him that Austin Matthews had tested positive. And I'm by no means going to say that Austin Matthews had it, nor do I care if he did, because it really is nobody's business. This is not an injury. This is not something that matters. Um, it's going to matter, obviously, when it comes playoff time and the Avalanche are getting ready to play a game and Miko Rantanen gets pulled from the game for the last second. Yeah, you got $500 on the game. You're going to want to know why Rantanen's not playing. Is this a, you know, a, a tweaked shoulder? Well, he'll be back for game two. Or is this something where he's going to have to sit in his hotel room for 14 days? Um, but until we get to that point, there's really not much to say about this other than the fact that the NHL has chosen to go a specific route with this. And as media, we should be... 100 percent uh abiding by those rules because unless you're getting a confirmation from a player and the player's agent this is not something that should be shared publicly no matter who your sources are no matter how positive you are that this player has it it's just not something that you should share we all heard that in a handful of the avalanche players early on during covid 
tested positive for it. And while I think a lot of us were probably curious as to who they were, nobody wanted to dig. Nobody really cared. And that, that reason is just exactly what you mentioned. It didn't really affect much else beyond that player. It was always that player is in quarantine, he's being taken care of, and he's recuperating, right? So it, exactly, until it becomes something that affects everybody else, it can stay quiet. It doesn't need to be public because then it's going to be obvious. I mean, if suddenly Toronto is due to play a game and Austin Matthews is missing, then, yeah, I think it's safe for them to say he's out of the game and probably out for the rest of the couple weeks because he tested positive. But for now, when we're still in this period of just let, let's try to figure things out and get going, I think that privacy still is to be expected. And, you know, it was weird how it all went down. If you haven't heard about the story, maybe go look it up a little bit. But um, it's just it's just crazy how reporters can still kind of throw things at the wall, hope they stick, and, and uh, you know, we, we kind of see it all the time still. Yeah, and I mean, the reporter, there's there's no reason to keep him, uh, you know, to report this anonymity. It's it's Steve Simmons of the of the Toronto Sun. And I grew up in Toronto, and I've, I have a very close connection with Toronto media in terms of how the Leafs are covered and how they've been covered since I was a kid. And Steve Simmons has done things like this that sort of tick people off and rub people the wrong way. And... At this point, it's not an argument of if if of if he did or did not have COVID. That is not a concern to me. Uh, the concern is just the way that it was handled. Just because this is such a new situation, there is no, there is no prior knowledge. There is nothing we can compare this to. Uh, Simmons tried to tweet that he compared it to Ezekiel Elliott. He compared it to Kevin Durant, but again, both of those were confirmed by the player or the player's agent, which is a direct voice from the player and his representatives saying that he had COVID. You did not get that from Austin Matthews. I just can't really think of any downside. I mean, yeah, I'm on board with the privacy. I get it. It's important to keep these guys anonymous for right now. But what would be the downsides to having it be out there aside from maybe getting chirped by the other team at one point? I mean, right now, honestly, there really isn't much of a downside, but there really isn't much of a, of a reason why people should know. Like we just yeah. said, I mean, at this mm-hmm. point, for sure, there really isn't much of a reason. And and the Maple Leafs did rep, uh, uh, they sent out a statement afterward, um, and they said exactly that. I have the statement right here. It says, per the National Hockey League protocol with respect to COVID nineteen. The Maple Leafs will not be commenting on reports surrounding testing for any of the club's players. A person's medical information in this regard is private. And those are the keywords right there, in this regard. This is not something that we've seen in the past. This is not an upper body injury to Nathan McKinnon, a lower body injury to Philip Grubauer, Semyon Varlamov, or whoever it might be. This is something that is unlike anything we've ever seen in our lifetime, including the mumps that, you know, sort of... Uh, serenaded the NHL seven or eight years ago. Um, It continues, the club will defer to the NHL's policy on handling the disclosure of positive test results in that the league will provide updates on a regular basis with aggregate total of the number of tests conducted and number of positive tests reported without disclosing either the identities of affected clubs or players. And I think for me right now, man, it's, it's considering where these players are Right now, in the in in their in their return to play, uh, in where where the league is in terms of this return to play format and and their phases, there's nothing that's going to come out of this that's positive in terms of releasing these players' names. Again, as we get further along the line, if we're in the final four and it's Edmonton versus Colorado and Toronto versus let's say Philadelphia, at that point, 
they might change their tune because Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are both out because they both got tested positive for COVID-19. At that point, maybe the NHL decides to go a different route. But right now, there is no reason to release the names and the identities of the players or the staff because just like I said, the you know the keywords here are in this regard is private. The medical information in this regard. It's something unlike anything we've ever seen before. Yeah, I respect it. And it was almost kind of a mafioso answer, I think, from the NHL in Toronto. Just like, he may or may not have it. It may or may yeah. not be him. What's it to you? You know, yeah. move along. Um, so, yeah, I respect it. And, you know, it is what it is for right now. Um, moving on, the uh, draft, lottery is supposed, lo- draft lottery is supposed to be this week. I can't wait. Um, I'm so Obviously, excited. a much different draft lottery than we're used yeah. to, I guess. Do you even know what to expect in regards to this whole draft lottery situation madness it's going to be pure freaking madness because there's a possibility that a team that's going to be playing in the play-in round could end up winning a draft pick and i'm i'm just absolutely in love with the way the nhl handled this with the way that they decided to do this so just to sort of catch you up on the format the nhl is going to pick they're going to draw for one two and three just like as normal over the last four or five years. You know, the same draft lottery odds and system that has screwed the Avalanche out of the first overall pick twice and then ended up picking fourth. Makar and Byram are great players. Um, But I love the way they did this. So everybody after those seven teams, the three California teams, Ottawa, New Jersey, Detroit, and Buffalo, everyone after that is going to be titled, the eighth overall team is going to be titled Team A, Team B, Team C, and so on and so on, all the way until you get to uh team uh whatever 15th overall is from the player from the teams that lose in the play-in round if one of those teams between 8 and 15 win a draft lottery pick then there's going to be a redraft with the eight teams that get eliminated of the from the play-in round with each team getting a even odds so let's take this and let's let's give an example of this last year i believe chicago won the third overall pick rangers won the second and the devils won the first Chicago and Chicago, I believe, was out of the top seven. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they were eighth or ninth, maybe tenth overall in terms of where their slot was. So if that draft lottery happened this year, it wouldn't have said Chicago on the third overall pick. It would have said Team C or Team D. And then once the eight teams are eliminated, those eight teams each get an even amount of odds, one eighth of a possibility of getting that pick. So what does that mean? If the NHL ends up having the first overall, second or third, let's say two of the draft picks, the second and the third, end up going to teams 8 through 15, those teams that are going to be playing in the play-in round, suddenly Pittsburgh gets eliminated by Montreal. Toronto gets eliminated by, uh, who are they playing? Columbus. Uh, Edmonton gets eliminated by Chicago. Now you have Edmonton, Toronto, and Pittsburgh all in a draft lottery with two picks up for grabs and only eight teams in the draft lottery. So there's a chance that Sidney Crosby could be playing with a Quinton Byfield or a Lafreniere next year. It's that simple. It's that easy. The other madness that I'm looking for, this is personally my favorite because it'll completely make Detroit lose its mind, is Ottawa winning the first and the second overall pick, which we have not seen in the NHL since the 1960s. The late 60s, Montreal had the first two draft picks. We have not seen it since. Ottawa gets a chance to draft Lafreniere and Byfield because they win the first and second overall because obviously they have San Jose's pick. What I'm looking forward to this Friday is madness, and and there's many ways that we can get it. 
Yeah, fingers crossed for pure chaos. I mean, there is the chance that those three first picks are just the guys who are at the bottom of the league that aren't even playing, and, you know, there is no chaos. But considering how we're used to seeing just nonsense come out of the NHL draft lottery anyway, you got to assume it's going to be that, that more chaotic route. Yeah, and if you're if you're subscribed to The Athletic uh, and you read a lot of the NHL uh, articles that come out, then you might be familiar with the name Down Goes Brown because today he released an article where it was, what are the, I forget what he titled it, but it was like, what are the craziest scenarios that could happen? One of them was, and not just in terms of the draft lottery, but in terms of just the NHL's return to play moving forward and the rest of the season and beyond, is uh, the fact that, the fact that Ottawa can win the first and the second overall draft pick, which ha- hasn't happened since the 60s. Um, the other one was the fact that the Rangers have Carolina's first round draft pick in the Brady Shea deal because they traded Brady Shea to Carolina at the deadline. So because of that, one of the crazy scenarios are is that the Rangers are the only team that have the possibility of winning the cup and drafting first overall. Because if Carolina gets knocked out in the playing round and then ends up winning that first overall pick, Rangers win the cup, there's your madness. There's your chaos, as you like to call it. Pure chaos. There are so many scenarios that could happen. And I'm excited for it, man. This is going to be a very, very deep draft at the top of the list. And uh, teams like Detroit badly need help. Teams like Ottawa badly need help. The California teams, obviously. New Jersey, they can go screw themselves. They screwed up two first-round draft picks already. And then Buffalo, who we know how badly they need help right now, too. Yeah, it's going to be a wild one. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's it's just weird that it's just so far from ordinary. It's so much about luck this time around. And I'm excited for whatever. it, man. This is going to put Not the NHL else. on the map. This is this is this is going to be an event that's gonna that's gonna put the NHL on the map. This is what they wanted out of that crazy idea of hosting the draft in June. That's what they're going to get from this draft lottery. I think. I'm excited for it. Again, that's coming up later this week. Right now, we are recording on Monday night. Last thing I wanted to get to before we uh, wind down and get to our social media of the moment, social media moment of the week and three stars of the week is the Dan Carcillo lawsuit against the CHL for negligence. Are you buying or selling this whole lawsuit idea? I mean, it's tough coming from a guy like Dan Carcillo who doesn't have the best reputation around the NHL, but of course has been doing his best to repair it. Again, buy or sell. I'm buying it. I. Uh... I think it's great that somebody's bringing this up. And while Carcillo has, you know, maybe not approached everything the right way in recent years, when he's sort of changed his tune, it's it's number one the 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 biggest thing that I will always respect about Daniel Carcillo is that you know, and he even shared his thoughts. He he even echoed this sentiment in a in a tweet earlier today. Is that he's willing? He not only was he willing to change, but he's willing to sort of admit when he's wrong admit when uh you know maybe he was doing something wrongfully and now he's sort of changed his tune there was a basically there was a there was a reporter out in vancouver named andrew walker who tore carcillo big time on his uh sportsnet 650 uh radio show and he was met with a lot of obviously a lot of people took offense to it and he was met with a lot of twitter bullying and and flack for the comments that he made to the point where today he released a statement and he personally apologized to Carcillo and he wanted to basically show that he's not taking these you know he's not he's not 
taking away from the severity of these things that Dan Carcillo brought up, which were hard to read. I don't know if you read through the entire thing, but it was Mm -hmm. disgusting. It was terrible. It was hard to read, but it also doesn't surprise me because hockey culture, because of what we heard Akeem Alou talk about in regards to Steve Downey and the things he had to deal with when he was playing junior hockey in Canada. Um, So Andrew Walker today, the Vancouver guy, the radio show guy, he released a statement uh, apologizing to Carcillo and Carcillo came out and and accepted the apology publicly. And when somebody, uh, when somebody asked, uh, when somebody asked Carcillo if he was truly accepting the apology, he said, look, man, I have no reason not to. We all make mistakes. Taking public ownership and apologizing is not easy. I know from experience. So as much as it's hard to deal with somebody like Carcillo being the the the, na- the face behind this lawsuit, the name behind this lawsuit, he has changed his tune in the in the fact where he's willing to admit that he's done wrong and he wants to see change. And to me, honestly, it doesn't matter who the name is behind it. We saw Akimalu was a name behind it at one point. Now it's Dan Carcillo. It doesn't matter who it is. You and I have been going back and forth about this for the last month. Hockey culture is 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 poisonous, and we it needs to change in all facets, from the hazing to the racism, the bullying. All of these things need to change, and it's only going to be done if things like this come to light. And reading that was not easy, and I know it was the same way for millions of hockey fans around the country. Yeah, you said you weren't surprised because hockey culture can tend to have these kind of crazy ass stories. I was, you know, very deep into hockey culture my whole life, and I was surprised to hear this stuff. I mean, I've seen some weird stuff, but this went overboard for sure. And one hundred percent, we're we're in a time where you know there's kind of a little bit of of enlightenment, so to speak, and just change going on, and just overall awareness on major topics so of course i'm buying in there needs to be a lot more change than just simply racism in hockey obviously so we got to clean this whole thing up from top to bottom and i pat i i stick i tap my stick to uh, dan carcillo 20, for putting his neck out there and guiding the way 2020 is the year man 2020 is the year where we're gonna see change one way or another and 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 be it social issues be it in the sports world and hockey this is the year for change because of what's going on around the world. If you know, it may be 2020 isn't that year. I, I read this beautiful quote where it was articulated a lot better than I'm trying to say it right now, but maybe <laughs> 2020 isn't the year that we're just going to call the wash and just wait for it to end. Maybe 2020 is that year where we've been able to take three steps back in order to take five or six steps forward because we're able to bring all of these issues to light. George Floyd and his murder would not have been as big of a story as it was if the world was operating as normal. Everybody's at home, everybody's online, and then that video appeared. It pissed off a hell of a lot of people rightfully so and something like this daniel carcillo story no sports going on everybody's at home you know for the most part nowadays seeing something like that that should piss off a lot of people and that should incite change just like the fact that the george floyd story is inciting protests peaceful protests nowadays and change and and so much is going on around the world that this is the year where we probably would have had to have taken three steps back in order to take four, five, six steps forward for a better future. Yeah, not drawing comparisons to racism and hazing, but much like the racist issue, hazing is nothing new. I mean, I remember this being a huge topic in the mid-90s when ESPN was reporting on it on other sports around 
the world around the country, collegiate athletes, all of that. So the fact that nobody has put their foot down on any of these issues and now's finally the time to do it, I'm all on board. You know, it's better late than never. So, you know, let's get some front runners to lead the way and, and make some changes happen because, it, you know, while it's negative and, and sucks to hear these disgusting stories that are coming, um, it's also just very positive to see that there are people out there that give enough of a shit to to make something happen and, and do something about it. So don't want to get too negative here. That's all I really wanted to touch on for uh, Dan Carcillo's lawsuit against the CHL. Anything else you want to throw out there before we wrap this baby up? That's it from me, man. I'm just uh, looking forward to seeing all the changes that are coming in terms of this culture, in terms of the return to play, and just getting back on the ice and you know watching the Avalanche make that run for the Cup. Well, time to get to our social media moment of the week where we kind of highlight uh, a Colorado Avalanche player who did something notable on social media. This week, I'm going to give it to... The fact that Eric Johnson was voted by the NHL fans to have the best hockey smile. That just puts a smile on my face. Of course, I got a lot more teeth than him. Um, but it's, it's just cool to see a guy like that, you know, win, you know, a meaningless trophy, but uh, just a fun little award nonetheless. Yeah, he's got that typical hockey look. He's missing his front teeth. He has been for years, and he takes out his teeth when he plays, and when he gets that grin growing, it's 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 such a hockey face. It epitomizes everything that a hockey player should look like, and it's you know it's great to see that fans around the league were able to notice that too, and not just us here in Denver. Right, and he has a sense of humor to go along with it too. That you know, I'm sure. Yeah. He's got a great take about that award. Um, now time to get to the Mile High Sports Three Stars of the Week, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Star number three, and this was supposed to be our social media moment of the week last week, but we completely spaced it and forgot, so I'm going to give him the third star this week, and that's Nikita Zadorov for annou- announcing that he once again will be a father. Yeah, I believe this is going to be his second kid. Uh, Zadorov's only 25 years old, and he's been married for five years, man. Uh, he's a crazy hell of, to me. Hell of a guy, you know. When you when you talk to him uh, privately and shoot the shit with him and sort of get into his personal life and his relationship, which I have a couple times this year, it's just so cool to hear him talk about, uh, you know, his personal story and 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 you know, being 25 years old and married for five years is something that I cannot fathom. So it's, it's great to see that, uh, he's having another kid and, uh, him and his beautiful wife are going to be parents for the second time. Yeah. He's just beating me at life. He's got his life so much more together than I do. He's on his second kid. I'm not even close to even thinking about my first and I've got seven years on him or so six years. Um, so yeah, Nikita Zadorov star number three, star number two, uh, along with, the ongoing topic we've kind of discussed the last couple weeks. We're going to give this one to Nazem Kadri, and it's because uh, he, along with Anthony Duclair, were officially named part of the Hockey Diversity Alliance. This is less than seven days after you and I kind of mentioned how we'd like to see him get more involved with that group, and um, he definitely has a lot to offer being um, you know, of such unique heritage compared to the rest of the NHL. So it's good to see him step up and good to see them welcome him with open arms. Nazem Kadri gets star number two for joining the Hockey Diversity Alliance. And that's what I love about this. I've I've listened to a lot of Ryan Reeves interviews lately, and uh, and 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 that's what I love about Nazem Kadri joining this is this this diversity alliance is is no nonsense. They're not here to. Uh, 
you know, push their own narrative or, or fight for one specific race or Black Lives Matter or end the racism or let's support Akimalu. They are here to make hockey a diverse sport in every single possible way. So to bring on somebody like Nazem Kadri, who's of Arab and Middle Eastern descent, who's a practicing Muslim, who fasts during Ramadan, who, who you know, looks a lot like me with a nice beard and the darker look and the bigger nose, it's it's good to see that they're going above and beyond to to bring in all these different heritages um you know maybe maybe next they're going to bring in somebody of an indigenous background like a jordan nolan who used to play in the nhl son of ted nolan a former nhl coach or maybe somebody like jordan tutu who is wildly popular in detroit and in nashville from his time playing there so it's just great to see that this hockey diversity alliance is going out of their way to to become you know ironically diverse and and bring in people of different backgrounds and really push diversity in hockey and making it more than just a privileged white sport yeah i mean we know how big of a melting pot north america is yep. and geographically now hockey covers all four corners of north america from you know southwest arizona to florida all the way up to you know the northeastern parts of canada and western canada and covering that span you're also coming across tons of different ethnicities and you know it's just time that everybody starts to embrace the fact that all these ethnicities are here to stay we're in a generation where we're going to see ethnicities we weren't used to seeing pop into different roles that you know they're going to be more than adequate at and hockey is one of those so to see some guys step up you know you'd like to keep them expanding you'd like to see some maybe asian americans hop on board and like i mentioned last week maybe a little bit more latino america representation in there too but it's growing it's still brand new and you know that you know the sky's the limit for those guys and they got a bright future the hockey diversity alliance and that's Star you know that's the thing before you before you move on yeah, yeah. is uh Austin Matthews is from Arizona. The Jack Luke and uh, Quinn Hughes, I think Luke is the third brother that's getting drafted this year. Uh, they're from Orlando, Florida. Austin Matthews' mother is of is of uh, Latino and I believe Mexican descent. So seeing these players coming from these non-traditional hockey markets becoming not just NHLers, but for Jack and Austin's uh, uh, specific superstars. scenarios. Superstars. Yeah. First overall draft picks coming from different places, non-traditional markets, different backgrounds. Austin Matthews is half Hispanic. So it's great to see that, you know, this hockey diversity alliance is being, is able to, 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 to be aware of what's exactly, you know, how diverse the sport is getting and being able to push that because you should be able to, to, you know, just imagine how much better the sport could be if, communities all around the country that maybe are more middle class or lower class are able to play this game and get introduced to this game could you imagine the 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 athletes and the superstars we could see in the future it's just it's great to to see that somebody is willing to push this game past where it is and it's only going to help the game grow and i'm excited to see where it goes man 100 percent, 100 percent. lastly star number one we are coming to you the day after father's day and, you know, in this time where the world is just so crazy, it's so important to have a good dad to just be your role model, teach you the right way to do things from a young age. And it's just, it was very, it, it kind of struck me as a different Father's Day this year. I don't know, looking at everybody on social media, posting the pictures of their dads, something you see every year, but to, this year just seemed a little more heartfelt from everybody. So, you know, shout out to my dad, your dad, all the listeners, their dads, you know, dads are very important in life, and, and it's just, a, you know, we gave mothers shout-out 
on uh, Mother's Day. Got to give it back to the dads because parents are just so important, especially in the hockey world. They're such a big part of coming up in, in uh, as a hockey player. So keep it up, parents. Keep it up. Yeah, I mean, we see it every year with uh, NHL players. We see the kind of influence their dads have on their lives. We see stories like TJ Oshie and his father having that moment on the ice after he won the cup. Uh it's well documented how important to his life Ryan O'Reilly's father is and how great it was to see them celebrate their Stanley Cup uh, presentation. My personal favorite dad story, going back to Nazem Kadri, uh, Brian Burke, who was the GM of Toronto at the time, I think I've shared the story once. He said that after he got after he drafted Kadri, Kadri's dad came and introduced himself to Mister to Mister Burke as he called him, and he said, "Hi, Mister Burke, I'm, Ka- I'm I'm Nazem's father. If he ever gives you any problems, punch him in the head and then call me." And it's just great to hear those stories because these players have such a great relationship with their fathers and they push them to become NHL players and they support them along the way. And happy Father's Day to all the hockey dads out there and all your fathers as well. Yeah, well said. And, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to end up uh, end a podcast on a positive note. So I think that's a good place for us to draw it right there. So um, that's all I've got. You want to throw anything else out there? No, just that uh, we are brought to you by DraftKings, the number one sports book in America. Yep, absolutely. Download it. Can't say it enough. You'll have a blast. And, you know, feel free to tweet Arif and I and let's chat some bets. Let's see what's coming up, especially once the restart gets going. I'm going to be itching to, to make some hockey bets. I'm tired of betting on soccer and golf, for goodness sakes. So, yeah, that being said, DraftKings, they're our friends. And Mile High Sports, for Arif, I'm JJ. We out you.